Hello, today is Saturday, August 7th, 2021, and welcome to the 40th episode of Of Interest. Wow, 40, can you believe it? My name is Al Deschino, known on Twitch as Christian Ninja, where every week from Monday to Thursday, we're working together to build an open, encouraging, and meaningful online family through gaming, real talk, and God's truth. This podcast is all about stimulating thought and starting conversations, but it's just one thing I'm up to, so you can find the links to everything else, like my Twitch channel, free books, live stream gaming chats, YouTube videos, my private Discord channel, and more at artofthechristianninja.com. In this week's episode, I'm going to share an interesting article about doing weird stuff, continue our interesting study of Pilgrim's Progress with the beginning of the seventh chapter where Christian descends into the Valley of Humiliation, and finish off with a new Bible study segment where I talk about how you can know whether or not God truly loves you. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am super glad you decided to listen. How are you doing today? I hope you're doing really well. I've just got a couple of things to say before we jump into it. First is just a reminder that I changed my Twitch schedule a little bit and from now on I'm not streaming on Sundays. I am Monday to Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for about four to five hours. The format's changed a little bit too in that I've been figuring out a really good rhythm lately and I think it's working for me and the folks watching. So from Monday to Wednesday, I start with a little verse of the day, devotional, little prayer, little chat, do a couple fun and silly things, and then do the question of the day. All this is designed to dedicate the stream to God, spur conversation, and build up the community. After that, I usually jump into a game, but I try to keep the conversation rolling for a few hours. Thursdays is a little different in that I do a much longer Bible study, basically a sermon on Philippians, and then launch into what I call Follower Appreciation Day, where I do special games, react to videos, play with viewers, do giveaways, other special stuff. I've been doing some game reviews lately for a company that lets me win gift cards, so when I win them, I just turn them right back into the channel as giveaways. Speaking of the Twitch channel, can I just take a minute to thank all the people who have been supporting me over the last five months? Yes, I've only been streaming for five months, but it's been amazing to see what God's been doing over that time. As far as the numbers go, as of today, I've streamed for 312 hours. I have 263 followers. I've gotten 64 people to hit the subscribe button, though as it stands right now, I have 21 subscribers. And when I first started the channel, for the first three months, I only had about 5.5 viewers per stream, but in the last month, I've been averaging 12 viewers per stream, and I've hit over 20 a bunch of times. For example, in my last stream, just this past Thursday, I averaged 16 viewers over a four-hour stream, had a max of 25 people watching at once, and got four new subscribers. For a new streamer, those are really good numbers, and I'm so blown away by God's grace to me and the response from the streaming community. And speaking of the streaming community, I'm so excited about what is happening there. Over the past few months, I've been praying constantly for some like-minded Christian streamers to partner with, relate to, serve with, grow together. And as I've told you many times, that's not easy. But out of nowhere, God has brought exactly those kind of people into my life, and I'm overwhelmed by their kindness, love, support. They pray for me, they ask me how I'm doing, they join me on stream, they recommend my channel, and they're so, so, so encouraging lately. Just the other day, one of the groups asked if I'd be a sort of de facto elder, a leader in their gaming ministry. I am so excited to see what happens over the coming months as God is working through all of us. 
I say that because I've already seen a few amazing gospel things happen. I've seen the community that I built rally around people that are going through really dark times in their life. I've watched as people in my chat go from profane agnostic to asking about which church they can attend. I've seen people drop into chat just saying how lonely and lost and friendless they are from people from all over the world and have been able to counsel them, talk to them about God's love, and bring some hope into their dark day. Being called to do this ministry full-time has been one of the most exciting things I've been part of for a long while, and I'm so excited for what's happening here. But I could never do this alone. You all know that I believe that God has called me to do this full-time, and that almost all of my funding comes through donations right now. And so I wanted to take a minute just to say a personal thank you to each of the people who have donated to get this Christian Ninja online ministry launched, and to those who continue to support it with their monthly gifts. I am so thankful for you. So, David, Nathan, Mary Ellen, Marcus, Stephen, Bill, Gabriel, Brent, Guy, Terrence, Jeff, and Chantel, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Your support means the world to me. And a special thank you to all of my brothers and sisters at the Hinton Alliance Church and the Lighthouse Free Methodist Church for your gifts and your prayers as well. I am so thankful for you all. And to those who have been so generous with me, like buying a game for me to play or bringing some groceries or food for my family, thank you so, so, so much. I've still got a long way to go before I'm fully funded, so if anyone listening is interested in helping out with a monthly donation, please head over to the website at artofthechristianninja.com and click the donation button. Thank you. Let's get on with the show. changing up the format of these podcasts a little bit, so I'm going to combine the interesting article and the interesting idea into one section. But I'm still going to have three segments, and we're still going to continue the Pilgrim's Progress study, but I felt like it would be good to use my latest devotional message as the last segment. That way, anyone who missed it or is interested in seeing our journey through Philippians that we're doing on Twitch can catch it here, and anyone who's already heard it can just stop listening after the Pilgrim's Progress study. So, this week's interesting article is entitled, Don't Do Weird Stuff, and it's by Sam Amati at NineMarks.org, and I think it's really good fodder for discussion. The Nine Marks ministry, led by Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., is essentially an organization dedicated to helping pastors and churches understand what a biblical church looks like and how to become one. The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, according to them, are Expositional Preaching, Biblical Theology, the gospel, conversion, evangelism, membership, church discipline, discipleship, and biblical eldership. Now, I totally agree with all that, and it's amazing to me that anyone wouldn't. I mean, if you want to describe a biblical church, one that follows God's design for what the body of believers is supposed to look like, those are the basics. Preach and teach the Bible, show that following Jesus makes a difference in your life, share that faith with others, support and hold each other accountable in love, and have good godly elders that protect the church. That that all seems like a no-brainer. And yet, the things that Nine Marks is saying has wound up being controversial to some. 
I won't get into it here, but suffice to say that there are a lot of churches out there that do not want to preach the Bible, don't want to talk about sin, don't want to do discipline, despise the idea of an authority structure in the church. For them, church is whatever you make it. God allows anything. Everyone is equal. Everyone's opinion is equally valid. And making someone feel bad is the worst sin you can commit. One of my Twitch friends recently went to a church for the first time in their life. They've been watching my streams and chatting with me for a while now. They've been influenced by another Christian pastor streamer. And they finally got up the courage to head into a real-life church. I couldn't wait to hear how it went. So I texted them, and I got a really defeating response. Let me quote. They said, Yeah, I don't think I'll go there again. It was more like a holiday club. No one introduced themselves or asked who I was. Then they were at the front dressed as pirates rewrote Kings of Leon songs with some weird lyrics about Jesus dying after he was buried. This this wonderful person put themselves out there to connect with a group of believers in their area so they could learn more about Jesus, you know, the one they've been learning about online. And they were met by people who not only ignored her and sang bad theology, but were acting downright weird, which is sort of the premise of the article. Hey, churches, don't do weird stuff. For some reason, the whole thing has gotten flipped. The conservative church with the elders that preach the Bible and talk about sin, those are the weird churches, while the dancing pirates that sing songs from the radio are somehow normal. It's bizarre. The author tells the story of one pastor in Kentucky who got bored of baptizing people in water, so he started baptizing people in pools of beer. Then he says he recently saw a YouTube clip of a pastor telling his congregation to take off their socks and wave them around over their heads while he sang, You spin me right round, Jesus, right round. And yes, I absolutely Googled this, and I am absolutely, you better believe, going to play some of it for you. So here you go. That is weird. Now, the point of the article is simply this. There are a lot of Christians and a lot of churches out there who have fallen into these weird practices. And I'm not talking about the really weird stuff like spinning socks, but lesser weirdness like abandoning congregational singing for stage performances, refusing to talk about anything sinful or sad because Sundays are supposed to be happy and triumphant and promoting sentimentality instead of the gospel. And he gives three really good reasons, and I want to go through them. He says, first, the reason we do weird stuff is because we've lost our appetite for God's majesty. In other words, we no longer see God as awesome and fearful and worthy of deep reverence and amazing, and coming into his presence is just life-changing. Our God is too small, so we do weird stuff to try to make ourselves feel better? Second, we've lost our appetite for ecclesiology. In other words, we don't trust that God's usual way of connecting to people, you know, the basic things like read the Bible, being led in prayer, having communion, singing together, that they have power anymore. They don't have enough pizzazz, so we opt for things that are more exciting, like pirates spinning socks over their head while singing show tunes. But, and the author makes a really good point here, those usual ways, those ordinary means of grace are just as powerful as they always were, and, and 
God hasn't authorized us to come up with a worship service designed to meet our tastes. We're there to worship Him, His way, not to please ourselves. And third, we do weird stuff because we have cultivated an appetite for entertainment and positive emotions. This is absolutely true. We don't just love spectacle. We're used to them being the norm. If it doesn't drop our jaw and shock us and make us cry or elicit some kind of emotional response, then we just get bored and we devalue it. But those ordinary ways we connect to God, prayer, Bible study, communion, singing, those are the bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of faith. Sure, bread and butter and meat and potatoes aren't the flashiest of foods, but they're the ones that are going to keep you alive. I'll leave the rest of the article to you, but I would love to hear what you have to say about it. So shoot me an email, send me a text, join the Discord, or come by the stream sometime and let me know what you think. second part of these podcasts is an interesting study on the classic book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember, there's a link to this book for free on my blog if you want to read along. This week we're going to be in chapter 7, where Christian enters the Valley of Humiliation. I hope this book is coming alive to you the way it is to me, and I hope that us taking a super slow look at it is actually helping you to savor the book as much as I am, because I am absolutely loving reading it slowly with you. Today I want to look at just the first paragraph of this chapter because, to me, it's amazing. Christian has just spent some time in the beautiful palace, he's been chatting with the princesses, he's learning lots and being encouraged by them, but now it's time for him to continue his journey. Let me read the paragraph to you and point out a couple things along the way. It says this, Then he began to go forward, but discretion, piety, charity, and prudence would accompany him down to the foot of the hill. So they went together, reiterating their former discourses, till they came to go down the hill. Then, said Christian, as it was difficult coming up, so far as I can see, it is dangerous going down. Pause there, because that's a really good thought. What he's referring to when he says that it was difficult coming up is the hill of difficulty, right? Which is kind of a no-brainer to say that it's difficult to go up the difficult hill when times are difficult. But I want to point out what Christian is actually saying. He's saying, wow. It's as hard going down as it was coming up. What's he going down to? Well, he's going down to the Valley of Humiliation. One of the positive effects about going through a difficult time and coming out the other side is that it gives you an opportunity to learn humility. Think of Christian, right? He meets Jesus at Calvary. He gets new clothes, a scroll. He's feeling pretty good. Then he meets simple and sloth and presumption. He tries to get them going, but it's no good. How does he feel about that? Well, he probably feels pretty good about himself. Imagine he's thinking, you know what? I'm better than those guys. And he's still on the road and he's moving forward. Then he meets formality and hypocrisy. Two fake Christians who refuse to obey Jesus. But Christian did things right. Then he heads up to the hill of difficulty and he meets mistrust and timorous, who are too scared to go on, and they're running back home. I don't want to read too much into the story, but maybe, just maybe... There was a little pride starting to grow about how much better he is than all these other failures. But then he hits the hill of difficulty, and he realizes how fragile he really is. 
He doesn't face the difficulty perfectly. He messes up big time. He almost quits the faith. He's filled with regret before he even gets to the beautiful palace. But after spending some time there, which, as I said before, is probably an allegory for becoming a member of a healthy church, he starts to feel better. But he's not the same as he was. One of the gifts that difficulty had given him is humility. And I love how John Bunyan writes this here. Wow, you know, going through difficulty was hard, but discovering humility, living humbly, that's hard too. Let me keep reading. Then, said Christian, as it was difficult coming up, so, so far as I can see, it is dangerous going down. Yes, said Prudence, so it is, for it is a hard matter for a man to go down into the valley of humiliation, as thou art now, and to catch no slip by the way. Therefore, said they, we are come to accompany thee down the hill. That's another amazing section. I don't want to rush by it. Christian says, wow, it is really tough to face the process of being humbled. And Prudence says, yeah, that's why we're here. We'll help you so you don't slip, fall, and die. But remember who these princesses are. Their names are discretion, piety, charity, and prudence. And they're from the Palace Beautiful, which is an allegory for a healthy church. In other words, when facing times of difficulty, when circumstances are humiliating, as in actively making you humble, and God is working to make you more like Jesus by teaching you humility, stick with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stick with your church. While you're going through that very hard time, it's your brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellow Christians, the people that love you, that will help you with things like discretion, meaning they'll help you decide what's best in whatever situation. If you try to do this alone, you're going to just lead yourself into real trouble. So talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Talk to your deacons, your elders. Ask for their wisdom. Use their discretion. And along with that, as you stick with your church, they'll help you remain pious. In other words, they'll help you keep doing the things that make you spiritually healthy. As you face humiliation, difficult times, you're going to feel pretty terrible. And you're going to be tempted to stop reading the Bible, stop praying, stop worshiping, go find comfort in dangerous and worldly things. So lean on your fellow believers. Let them read the Bible to you. Let them pray for you. Let them lead you in worship. Let them hold you accountable. They'll keep you from blowing up your world. The same with charity and prudence, also known as kindness and cautiousness. When we go through tough times, it's easy to either pull inward and get selfish and protective to lose our kindness, or to freak out and start acting in wild ways, hoping to make the problem go away, to not be cautious. It's your Christian family, your friends, your pastors, your elders, spiritual mothers and fathers. Those are the ones who are going to be the guide rails on either side of your life, helping you stay cool, calm, collected, and kind. The reason for this is because many of them have made this journey before, many of them more than once, and they would love nothing more than to help make sure you don't go tumbling down that hill and hurt yourself. But only if you stick with them. Only if you let them journey with you. Christian would have been in a lot of trouble if he'd asked his friends to stay back home and tried to do this alone. The next line is, So he began to go down, but very warily, yet he caught a slip or two. Guess who caught him when he slipped? Yeah, his friends. So I know the enemy keeps telling you to be alone, that no one cares, that no one understands, that if anyone hears your problems, they're going to judge you or hurt you or embarrass you or criticize you. But that's not true for everyone. 
Go talk to your pastor. Go talk to a Christian friend who you know will have your back. If they're believers, they're not going to yell at you. They're not going to condemn you. They're going to meet you with compassion, understanding. They're going to want nothing more than to help you in any way they can. And I'd like to be there for you too. If you're going through a tough time right now, facing a hill of difficulty, slipping down the valley of humiliation, and you feel alone, contact me. Send me an email, join my Discord, find me on stream. I would be happy to walk with you in whatever way I can. From now on in these podcasts, the last part of the episodes is going to be dedicated to sharing the Philippians study I've been doing with the folks who join me on Thursdays on stream. I thought that many of you would appreciate hearing it too, or if you missed it, would like to be able to catch up. So if you want to catch the rest of these, they are or will be available on my YouTube channel. So here's this week's study. Uh, Today we're only looking at one verse. We're only looking at one verse, but it encapsulates a lot of what Christians believe. So I think it's important for us to kind of park on for a bit. And that's Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, which says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now it's talking about Jesus. And what I want to do for the rest of our time here, just for a little bit, is to take a consideration of the life of Jesus from the perspective of What's it like for him? Why would he call? Why would we call him a humble servant? It says, you know, being found in the human form, he humbled himself. What does that? What does that mean? He humbled himself. Because when you think of Jesus, like if the word Jesus comes to mind, like what's the first word that pops into your head? For me, I, there's all kinds of words like you know, there's Lord, you know, God, Savior, Grace, Powerful, Miracle Worker, Perfection, Wise. The, the and while all that's true. Maybe the best thing that could pop into my head, the more accurate thing when it comes to the life of Jesus, is the word humble or humble servant. So let me pause here and tell you why. I want to cover this a little bit specifically, why I think this is important to you. Why am I talking about this? I don't believe that sharing theology is, uh, for most people, is important unless it has a practical aspect to it, unless there's a so what. And so let me... Let me help you understand why this is important to you practically, where we're going with this practically. As you live your life right now, you have problems, right? You have problems in your life. There are external problems that are happening around you, like you've got people picking on you, uh, you've got problems with your job, you've got the global pandemic, you've got political instability, you've got neighborhood violence, you've got whatever else happening outside of you, problems outside of you. And those things are making life difficult. They fill you with worries, they fill you with fear, they want to drive you into misery, right? This external stuff that's happening to you. But, and you know this is true, you know that if you can get a hold of all the stuff going on inside of you, that the stuff outside wouldn't be that big a deal. You know that your greatest desire isn't for a new political system or a perfect job or more money or to be untouchable, to be to be safe. Your greatest desire isn't for those external things to change. It is so that 
your great desire is that all the difficult feelings inside of you, your fear, your anger, your sadness, your bitterness, the addictions, the shame, the grief, the worry, the envy, all that stuff would stop driving you into the ground. When you get down to it, and I'm sure you know this too, everyone outside can do whatever they want. You don't even hardly care. The world can be as miserable as it wants to be. You just want to feel loved on the inside. You want to feel safe on the inside. You want to know that you are cared for. You can deal with everything else that's going on outside. All that turmoil wouldn't even hurt nearly as much if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are unquestionably, undoubtedly, unwaveringly loved, right? I've said this to myself many times. Uh, when the world has been falling apart around me, enemies surround, external forces are battering me from all angles. I can, I can handle it. As long as I have someone in my life I can run to, who I know isn't going to reject me, isn't going to turn their back on me, isn't going to be one of the many, uh, that will always give me the benefit of the doubt, right? Someone that loves me. Once you've got that, if you've got that, a lot of the world gets a lot easier to deal with. The worst times of my life have been, well, I've had all that terrible stuff happening on the outside, and I felt like I was facing it alone. Or worse, when the people closest to me, the ones that I wanted love from, they were bringing their own form of attack. So no one felt safe. That's when the suicidal thoughts start coming in. That's when I start looking for chemicals to make myself be, feel better. That's when my mind, my body, emotions, they start shutting down. It's not the pressure and the attacks that crippled me. It was the loneliness. Now, I know some of you know that feeling, which is why what I'm talking about today matters so much, because it answers this really big question. Are you loved? Or the question, turn it around and say, am I loved? Right? Or more specifically, especially in our context today, does God love you or not? And how can you know for sure? Which brings us back to Jesus, the humble servant. Okay, so I want you to consider his story for a moment. A moment. Let's let's talk about Jesus. Who what who Jesus is? Consider for a minute a minute that God is Jesus. Jesus is God. He's eternal, all powerful. He's worshipped by angels. He's in perfect relationship with God the Father. He is in perfect relationship with God the Holy Spirit. He needs nothing. He deserves everything. He, for all eternity, has existed in utter and complete perfection, holiness, joy, splendor, beauty, love. Everything for him is perfect. He is God and is perfect in love. Then, he comes to the earth during the first century. The word theologians use to describe that is the word condescend. Jesus condescended to us. We use that term negatively these days to describe someone who's acting arrogant or patronizing. They make themselves look superior, so they, they, they condescend to us. But that's not what it means when it describes Jesus. When Jesus condescended, he went from living in absolute perfection to living here, which is so much worse. First century earth was not a nice place. Consider this. When Jesus came, when God came to earth, he was given or he, he took on the form of a baby. Okay. 
a baby is maybe the single weakest, most useless, most vulnerable creature on earth. The human baby is utterly useless, can't do anything. Even most, a lot of animal babies can do something after only a couple hours. Babies take forever to be able to do anything. That baby that he became, that God became, that useless little baby, was born to a young woman who was married to an obscure tradesman in a conquered country who gave birth in a barn. His first crib was actually a feeding trough for animals. By the time he was two years old, the king had already tried to murder him and his family, so they had to flee the country. Uh, or they tried to murder him, so his family had to flee the country as refugees. He lived as a refugee. Then he came back after a few years, but he his family moved to Nazareth. Nazareth was a place that the whole population around them just didn't like. They had this poor reputation. They were mocked throughout the land. Oh, you're from Nazareth? That's That's ridiculous. That's so funny. Nazareth is the worst. His father probably died when he was in his early teens. So that means that Jesus grew up in a single parent home, probably the sole breadwinner for for that entire house for a while until his brothers could grow up and take over the family business. Now, when he did finally start getting into the reason he was, you know, had come to preach and teach and, and declare, you know, the, the, the coming kingdom of, of God, everyone hated him. His family thought he was crazy. They tried to drag him home. They were going to lock him up. Within no time, his hometown had tried to kill him. The government hated him. The religious officials were trying to murder him. Every time he did something kind, people misunderstood. And when he wouldn't perform for them, do the kindness on command, they either rejected him or tried to murder him. Eventually, after doing nothing wrong for his whole life, never hurting anyone, never telling a lie, only spreading truth, love, <laughs> mercy, he was falsely arrested dragged into illegal trials, and though he was declared innocent by the governor, was still falsely convicted, beaten within inches of his life, and dragged bleeding through the city, nailed to a piece of wood, propped up on display as a capital criminal, and as he hung there, he was mocked, tortured, insulted, even by the people hanging next to him. Now the question I have for you is this. Why would God put himself through that? Why would God the Father put God the Son, who'd done nothing wrong, lived a perfect life, who he loved perfectly, why would he allow the person he loves most to go through a lifetime of rejection, poverty, misery, loneliness, and then face the worst torture that humanity has ever conceived of? Look at the verse. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did it because Jesus was a humble servant. Who was he serving? He was serving God, and he was serving us. You see, at any point in his life, Jesus had the power to do whatever he want. He... That's what Satan's temptation in the desert was all about, by the way. Jesus, you know, will you forgo suffering? Will you take the easy route? Or were you going to keep facing all this misery as this humble servant for God and humanity? Because you could have it easier. And every time, Jesus always took the road of the humble servant, never using his power for himself, only ever using it for others. But why? 
I think a big part of the answer to that question is to give us the answer to, are you loved? Does God love you or not? And how can you know for sure? You see, some of you wonder if God has it out for you. You think that he either dislikes you or he's totally indifferent to your needs. You think he's either ignoring you or he's actively persecuting you. When that thought comes into your mind, may I suggest you look at Jesus. Why did he face all that misery? Why did he face the cross? He was there to offer a trade. He was offering you a trade. You see, God can't allow sin to go unpunished. He's perfectly holy. He's a perfect judge. So he cannot just pretend that sin didn't happen. Well, why doesn't God just forgive everybody? He can't pretend that sin didn't happen. That's why he's, it, it needs to be dealt with. The evil judge, a bad judge, is the one that lets people go unpunished, right? We hate those kind of judges that are like, they look at wrong, they see wrong, and they say, ah, forget it. God is not a bad judge. He's not a bad person. Sin must have consequences. Jesus lived this life of misery, only doing good, only facing evil, eventually nailed to a torture device as a way to offer himself as a trade for you. You see, God said that instead of punishing you, instead of pouring his wrath out on you, he would pour his wrath out on Jesus instead. First, he would suffer through a life of sadness and rejection. Then he would suffer through the torture of crucifixion. Then through facing the entire fury of the wrath of God against sin. He took the whole brunt of concentrated hell upon himself. See, the cross was nothing compared to that. Why did he do that? He did that because you can't save yourself. He wants you to be with him. But he can't be with you if you're still guilty. He can't be with you if you're still guilty and bound for hell. The only way you can spend eternity with him, the only way he can love you forever in eternity, which is what he wants to do, he wants you to be with him forever, is if you're considered not guilty. You have to be declared not guilty. Well, you are guilty. And there's no amount of good deeds that you can do to negate that guilt. It, for example, if, if you had murdered someone, it doesn't matter how much good you do after that, right? If you're still a murderer, you can't just go to the judge and say, sure, I murdered someone, but I did so many other good things too. Can it just balance out? That's not how it works. That's not justice. That's a bad judge. So, because God loves you, because Jesus loves you, because God wants you to be with him forever, he made a way for that to happen. He would trade Jesus for you. Jesus goes through hell, so you don't have to. Then he asks if you want to accept the trade. That's all Christianity is. The root of the whole belief is that we've said, yes, I'm a sinner. No, I can't save myself. The only way I can avoid hell and have eternal life with God is because Jesus paid my debt, took the punishment for my sin on my behalf. And then he proved it, not only by dying, but rising again from death to prove that he'd conquered it for once and for all. Christians are just people who have accepted the trade and live every day thankful for it. That's what it means 
that Jesus is your humble servant? And that answers the question, are you loved? He loved you so much, he traded himself for you. He loved you so much, he took your sin upon himself. He loved you so much, he died, so you wouldn't have to. You are loved. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something interesting. Remember, these podcasts are just one of the things I'm up to, so you can find the links to everything else, like free books, Twitch live stream, YouTube videos, more podcast episodes, new videos, private Discord channels, all of that at artofthechristianninja.com. I live stream on Twitch on Monday to Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at www.twitch.tv slash christianninja, X-T-I-A-N ninja. We do a lot of silly stuff, we do a lot of serious stuff, and everything in between. If you want to support this ministry, the first and best way is to share, share, share. The internet is so full of noise, and the social media algorithms hate Christian stuff, so if you don't share it, no one sees it. So please hit that like, subscribe, share button, tell your friends, it helps a lot. Next is to use my Amazon affiliate links when you buy a book or a video game or something. You can find those links on my website, but if there's something that you want that's not on there, let me know so I can put it on my list and then I'll get a little kickback when you buy it. And if you want to go that extra mile, it would be amazing if you'd click the donation button on the website and give a one-time or regular monthly gift. God called me to do this full-time, so if you love streamers and gamers and appreciate what I'm doing, please show that love with a financial donation. It'd really help. Thank you again. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs>